0: This is the Image Junkies podcast, the show for news and documentary filmmakers, with your host, Christian Parkinson. Hey guys, welcome to episode 6 of the Image Junkies podcast. I can't believe we've got this far. It's five more episodes than I thought I was going to get around to recording, so that's pretty good going. Uh, What a week it's been. I've just come back from Zimbabwe, where I was covering the Do we call it overthrow of Mugabe? The coup? Whatever we want to call it. Anyway, Mugabe is now gone. So I've been covering that for the last week and I've just got back in time to record this intro and get the episode ready. So I hope it's not too rough around the edges. It was a great trip. Lovely to be back in Zimbabwe, which is a country I've covered a few times before. And let's hope that um, the country starts opening up more to the foreign press now, which they certainly did in the last week. So yeah, fingers crossed for that. I had, a, I had a nice time and a good trip, and it was, it was great for me to cover a really big world news story because I haven't actually done a lot of that in the last couple of years. As much as I love doing news features, which is fantastic, it was really good to work as part of a big team. I even worked on uh, some TV edits, shoot editing for um, a major TV news bulletin, which I don't usually do, with most of my work being um, for, for online platforms. But it was great. Anyway, so back to today's episode, we're interviewing the fantastic, the one and only Rick Porsche. Now, you may know him, if you follow camera people online, as at Turd Polisher. That's his moniker on Twitter, and he's also got a blog of the same name, turdpolisher.wordpress. Brilliant blog, he's a great writer actually. I've just got his website, turdpolisher.tv.wordpress.com open in front of me. Let me give you an idea of how well this guy writes. The rain started as we pulled into town. Not the rain we were promised. Driving, pounding, deep. The kind of rain sure to produce a glowing case of swamp ass. No, this rain was special. A nasty case of the grey drizzles. The kind of rain that turns streets and windshields into a greasy mess, but rarely collects in puddles. That's just the opening paragraph of one of his blog posts. He he writes fantastically and he's a hell of a good interviewee. I really learned a lot from this interview and I hope you will too. So without further ado, here's Rick. Well, Rick, thanks for joining us. Um, Tell us who you are, where you're from and what you do. Oh my goodness.
1: Uh, First of all, I've been enjoying the podcast. I've I've listened to the last few episodes and I'm really, you know, you guys do things a little different on on the other side of the pond, but you know, it's, it's fun to learn. Um, I've been a television news photographer, I guess, in in local news, uh, local television stations since back in uh, 1990. Uh, Bounced around, I probably hit uh, seven or eight television stations in in that time. And I've been everything from just uh, the beginning grunt to a chief photographer at uh, at a station a while back and now I'm just in a daily mix at uh, the CBS affiliate in uh, Baton Rouge Louisiana we're a top 90 market in, in the US uh, but really the quality and and the stuff I, I'd put our stuff up against anything in the top 50 because our, we've got a really really good staff
0: well I'm just gonna I'm just gonna ask you about that because for non-U.S. camera crew like myself, I often hear this, oh, you know, we're a top 50 station or we're this or with that. But I personally have no idea what that means. So what, what does that actually mean? Well, it, it, in, the, in the U.S., we're ranked by market
1: size. So the number of people in your audience, uh, places like New York, Los Angeles, um, Dallas, Houston, those are the, the big, big markets in the in the U.S., uh, and and you kind of start up with one, and you kind of rank down. We're we're a top 100 market. We probably got uh, in the immediate viewing area. We're talking four to five hundred thousand uh, people, and then on the out on the outskirts, uh, maybe another sixty or so thousand. Kind of in what's called our uh, our DMA, our our, our coverage area, um, and so we concentrate on news in that area. We don't we don't get outside of that very often. There's a big story. Uh, our, our, our coverage area is maybe, Oh, 150, 160 miles from, from end to end. And if we get big news outside of that area, we'll go and do it, but it's not on a daily basis. So our, our travel on a daily basis, the furthest we'll go for just a regular story, uh, 45 minutes to an hour. After that, we kind of let crews and, and other areas handle
0: that. Right. I see. And, and how did you end up in Baton Rouge? Cause did I read on your blog that you started in LA? No, 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 no,
1: no, no, no. I started, I started in a little bitty town up in North Louisiana. LA is, you probably see it in LA and think in Los Angeles, it's Louisiana.
0: Oh, okay. Um,
1: I started off in a very small town as a, as a, an associate producer, uh, just trying to get my foot in the door, jump from there to a little, Little bigger market, not much in uh, in central Louisiana, got out of central Louisiana, bounced around the the uh, the Gulf coast, the, the the Gulf of Mexico coast uh, for a bunch of years. I'm originally from South Louisiana, and uh, this was an opportunity to move back closer to home. And uh, had some opportunities to move out uh, into some bigger markets uh, since then, but we decided we want our kid we wanted our kids once they started school to kind of stay stay put so that's that's why we're here um, and and I love I, I absolutely love uh the, the television station I'm working for right now which is kind of odd in in television you know you, you always find all kinds of things wrong in the places you work but I really do love the, the I love the shop I'm in I, I really enjoy the photographers I work with and our reporters we do some really good stuff and so it, it's it's a really good job offer would would even be hard to take. Would be hard yeah. to move on.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I know what you mean. I mean, well, tell us a bit about your station then. I mean, for example, you know, you're you're. you're are you part of like a, a pool of of a sort of photogs there? How many of you would there we've be? Got, right, we've got
1: probably uh, seven. I guess seven photographers, uh, dedicated photographers who go out every day and just shoot, and we've got. And that's kind of odd uh, in this market to have that many. And we've got another four or five uh, MMJs or one-man bands uh, that that do their own thing as well. Um, so we've got a we've got a pretty good mix. And it's you know sixty forty on the photag side. It's a, might be a little bit high for most markets this size, um, but I think we, we're right at the right mix. Um, we're, we're finding that. Um, that you need those that, that two-person crew is is, is crucial on, on a lot of things we cover and so uh, I'm paired up with the, with a reporter on most days if we're short reporters I'm kind of an odd duck and that uh, they'll send me out to report as well and how, so I can, I can, how I, do, I do you how do you find do that making
0: well. that transition do you do you enjoy the reporting as well
1: I do um, I it, it's strange because they—they've kind of found my, my management has kind of found my niche, you know, the kinds of stories I do well. And uh, my, my uh, news director came with, to me the other day and says, "I've got a great story for you. I'd like you to do." And you know, so when I get those opportunities, I really like to do it. It's it's using some different uh, some different muscles and and some different skills that I don't get to use all the time. And and I thought I would hate it. I absolutely thought I would hate it. But um, from the first from the first time I went out and did it by myself I was like you know this is this really works I, and, and it's a it's a good fit when I get bored uh, working with reporters I can go out and, and do something different on my own
0: yeah oh fantastic and you say you found your niche what is that
1: um, I I'm not, I don't know what I would call it it's it's sort of human interest but then it's got a little bit of a news edge too sometimes um, I like to I like to call them just stories with, with some emotion, stories with some feeling, uh, where you can actually develop a character really well, let the audience get to know that person, and understand who they're. They're, they're, they're personal stories, um, but but they can also have a have a hard news edge. I mean, uh, you can you know a, a teacher who's uh, underpaid and is strike and is uh, on strike or is at the legislature. Um, Uh, fighting for a pay raise. So, you know, I'll go out and spend some time with that teacher, um, spend some time in her classroom, get to know her, spend, uh, you know, do some stuff with her off the job and at the Capitol, and then kind of push that all together so people can see the bigger picture of how uh, that one issue fades into every part of their life.
0: Gotcha. You know, I think that sort of style does lend itself to people like you and I, because that's very similar to the sorts of stories I like doing on my own, own personal stories. Um, I don't know about you, and any reporter listening may be offended, but I often find, and maybe you're lucky that the reporters you work with are all fantastic people, persons. Um, But I find often photogs or cameramen at whatever we want to call ourselves are often very good at dealing with people. And sometimes our colleagues aren't as comfortable with people And I actually think we can get the best out of out of people, you know, without another person there sometimes.
1: I I worked with a reporter this past weekend and we talked about the same thing. Reporters go in for information a lot of times. And if they're not a a feature type storyteller, they go in looking for information and they they don't always approach uh, the story with a human perspective. And I think photographers, just from, from, from the very beginning, you have to get somebody comfortable in front of the camera. So you treat them a little bit differently. And, and people don't expect as much from a photographer. When they talk to a reporter, they're expecting that they have to deliver information and everything else. And with the photographer, they kind of let their guard down a little bit. So even when I'm working with a reporter, I'll let them get the interview out of the way and then while they're off doing whatever it is reporters do and I'm getting some B-roll I'll shoot some of the same questions at this person while they're doing whatever it is they're doing and get a completely different answer with a completely different personality and because they're they're just a little bit more relaxed yeah. they they're, they're not expecting that to end up in the story so they they pull their guard back a little bit
0: yeah no that's 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 exactly the way I like to work as well it's uh it's quite, quite interesting to hear you describe your technique there, because that's exactly what I do. Um, I'm much, nine times out of ten, I get a better answer out of someone when I just ask them something from behind the camera. You know, like, oh, so is this what you usually do? And suddenly their answer is ten times better than the one they gave in the interview.
1: Right, right. It's it's all about making them comfortable. Hmm. It, it, when when your interview uh, subject is comfortable, you know, do they're not sitting behind a desk with their, you know, you tell them to put their forearms on the desk so they don't rock back and forth. If they're not hemmed in like that and they feel like they can be themselves, you get a lot better, you get a lot better information.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's funny, I I had a realization recently, I don't know if uh, maybe you wouldn't agree, but I found for the first probably 10 years of my sort of filming career, all I wanted was beautiful shots. That was all I cared about. It had to look beautiful. I wanted people to watch it and go, what a great photog, you know, what a great cameraman. And now I say to people, I actually, I just want it to feel real. I don't care as much about it being beautiful.
1: Some of my, again, this weekend, I was talking with one of our promotions guys. They were, they came out with us. That's something different, I think, our station has started doing in the last couple of years. Uh, our promo guys are from the news department. He he actually left news and became a more became one of our marketing guys. And Instead of having everything boxed up and done in the studio, he likes to send uh, a promotions or a marketing photographer out with us sometimes when we shoot to get something a little bit more natural, a little bit more uh, uh, gritty feel of of what's going on out in the field, something a little bit more real. And uh, I was talking with the the photographer that came out with us, and I said, look, I'm not lighting this. I'm not going three-point lighting. I'm not getting all dramatic. I'm going to use one panel light, maybe a backlight, something really soft. I want it to look natural. That's what I've been after in the last three, four, or five years. I've, I've really kind of gone to that instead of the really, you know, really dramatic stuff because I just I want something to feel real, and that's kind of part of what it's it's evolved. My 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 kind of technique and my my uh, philosophy has kind of evolved into that because there's so much out there, there's so much polished stuff out there that people used to see, and um, I just, I wanted to feel, I wanted to feel real, and so if I can get away with with no light and just natural lighting, if it's not beautiful, as long as it's enough, and I'm not throwing really bad shadows, and it's not, it's not hard to look at, I'm gonna go natural lighting all the way.
0: Yeah, 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 no, I agree completely, and I found myself recently, I'll watch a piece on, on the news, and it'll be beautiful, absolutely beautiful, and all I can think is, it's so beautiful. It's kind of distracting. Like it doesn't feel real. It feels mm-hmm. like every shot's been staged, right. you know. And I, I really don't right. like that. Right.
1: Um, I don't think anybody will ever accuse my stuff of being too beautiful, <laughs> <laughs> because um, I, I like to work fast, um, and I like I like to move around a lot. It's it's always about, and, and I don't know how you guys feel in the UK and, and everything, but or. But I want the reaction more than the action. The the reaction is where the is where the story is, is, is where the emotion is, is where is, is where you get to know that person. And so I'm all I'm all about bouncing and moving. I call it I call it uh, the, the Muhammad Ali method of of, uh, of shooting. It's stick and move. I get I get my what, one good sound bite here. I know I got something in this one spot, I'm up and I'm moving and I'm going somewhere else to get a different angle, a different feel, just to keep it keep it fresh. Yeah. And if you've got all that dramatic lighting, it's really hard not to lock yourself down that one
0: spot. Exactly. And I find the same with tripods. I hardly ever use tripods anymore for the same reason. You put your tripod down and you're like, this is my spot. And then you start to just pick shots from that one spot. Whereas when I'm handheld, I don't know if you're the same, I... I just feel so much freer to go low, you know, get a shot off the floor, climb yeah. up, you know, that uh, bin on, that's over there, climb on top of the disc bin, you know, whatever it mm. is. I,
1: I I do I use a tripod a lot, mm. uh, because I, I really I, I when when the subject's not moving, I try not to be moving. But there are some. Yesterday I did a story about a fundraiser where there was there was uh, there were barbecuing and and fixing dinners and people in line getting plates and everything else. There was no way I was going to shoot that. Some You can shoot it with a tripod, and it's going to take you three times as long, um, and it's going to be beautiful. But I wanted the, the frenetic feel of it, so I had my tripod. I ditched it under a table and just went handheld and bounced and moved, and I could I could take my microphone, pin it on somebody for 45 seconds, get what I needed, take the mic, and I'm off to the next spot is a lot faster, a lot easier. And and in a in a shop where you're turning a story like that and maybe another one uh, in the same day, you gotta be able to work fast. And so sometimes a tripod slows you down too much and, and you lose some of that feel. That that being said, you know, I'm using tabletops, I'm using chair backs, I'm using, you know, whatever I can to make sure that that shot is steady.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, sort of, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I, I, as we're talking about it, I, um, maybe you can explain something to me. Whenever I watch regional news from the U.S., not always, but I, I like to watch that. Is it the NP, NAP, MPPA awards? MPPA, right. Amazing. Some of the best shot and edited pieces I've ever seen. Like whenever I need inspiration, I go and look at some of these pieces from the local news camera crews in the U.S.
1: If if you look at if you look at, News out of Min, out of uh, Minnesota, um, you look at KUSA, in Denver, um, uh, King TV, uh, up in Seattle. Those guys, they're amazing. Yeah. they really are. Yeah. So
0: creative. I mean, their use of sound. I've never, I've never even now in any other country, I've never seen sound used like the way um, guys are doing it in the States right, right now, or have been over the last few years. You know, just like you were saying, just putting uh, personal mics on so many different people. Like, you've got sounds coming from everywhere, very beautiful, fast edits, but with a purpose. You know, not just fast edits for the sake of it, but with a purpose. And yeah. it's just a really stunning style that only seems to be done in regional news in America. How, why do you think that is, and how did that develop?
1: I can't tell you how it developed. I'll tell you how I found it. When, when I started, started off in the business, I always I felt, felt like there was something I was missing. Like, I'm doing what I know how to do, but I'm letting the story down. I'm not telling this story as well as it could be told. And that, that I, I don't know if any other if it happens to any other photographers, but that, that ate at me for a long time. When I got into Baton Rouge, the first station I worked for here, sent me to the National uh, Press Photographers Association boot camp for a week. And I got there and I went, this, this is what I've been trying to do. This is what I know my stories have been missing. Uh, this is why I've been letting down some of these stories. And what they do at MPPA, it's amazing. Um, they start you off, you get five minutes of tape. Well, it was, it was tape back then. But you get five minutes and you've got to tell a story in five minutes with no sound. It's just, and, and so you learn you learn action-reaction, you learn how to sequence your shots really well, and you work off of that. And then they show you these amazing, uh, these amazing videos for a week of how people are using that sound. And so you learn how natural sound furthers a story. And, and what I've kind of picked up and what I've kind of made my own is that sound bites can be used. There's no and and, and when I talk to classes um, at at the university, it's there's no such thing as it's all sound. It's not natural sound or interview or sound bite. It's all sound and all of it can be used the same way. I can use uh, a second and a half micro bite and stick it in a piece of track just like I can natural sound. Just like I can use uh, uh, the, the sound of water rushing in a creek, I can use two seconds of somebody say, saying something that that imparts some kind of impact in the story. And so, I think that's what what you learn at MPPA. You've got all these guys experimenting, learning, and doing these different things, and you get there and you see this, and you go, "Wow, this is what my stories have been missing." And there are some there are some markets in the, in the states that really do a good job of it uh like i say kstp uh 11 uh, both are, are in minneapolis kusa has some of the best shooting and best editing you'll ever see king tv does a real good job out in seattle there's there's a bunch of other ones but those are the ones that i watch um, and then there are other markets that don't put a premium on that kind of storytelling that it's it's uh it's run and gun it's get it in get it together get it on and we're on to the next we're going to tell a story in a minute, ten seconds, and that's it and so I've kind of found a found a spot in in Vaton Rouge where where my my bosses and my reporters value that kind of stuff, and so that's that's really what I love doing
0: yeah and I mean maybe maybe I'm incorrect in saying this because I haven't seen enough, but it doesn't seem that that style that creative storytelling has has moved into the national news whenever I watch you know, the big national news networks in right. the US. It's very staid, it's quite dull. Um, often they do use fast edits, but for the sake of it, and you watch it thinking, they're, they're cutting too quick and there's no reason.
1: No, I can't, I don't work network. I bump into photographers, freelancers that work for network sometimes, and, and talk with them on some of these bigger stories. And part of the thing about shooting for network, a lot of these guys are, um, are freelance. So it's about getting the shot. If they don't get the shot, they don't get hired again. So you don't see as many sequences. You don't see some of the prettier stuff because it's, it's all about getting the shot and getting the information. Um, and then a lot of times these things are cut and turned. You know, they, they'll, they'll feed the video raw satellite to New York. Uh, they'll you know, the reporter writes it. They turn it around. Then they feed the the audio, and so by the time they write it and cut it, it's it's being cut really close to deadline, and so you don't get a lot of that stuff in. Right. Uh, if you look at um, if you look at Steve Hartman on CBS, yeah, he does amazing work, and he does the he does that kind of storytelling.
0: Is Steve Hartman uh, a, a reporter or is he a photog?
1: Yes. Steve Hartman is a reporter. Yeah. Uh, for CBS News, he does a segment. Uh, every friday uh, he's kind of a uh he does kind of a on the road charles corral kind of thing yeah. and uh his stuff is 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 usually very good um i got a chance to learn a little bit from the guy who kind of started him off Les rose one of his first photographers at, at uh, cbs and uh just really love picking the guy's brain because he's he's fantastic but at network it's more about those freelancers that are shooting are get the story, get the shot. I can't miss it because if I miss it, I'm not getting hired again.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, I guess you're, you're going to be a bit less creative when that's the main priority. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, have you ever sort of wanted to work for network or is that not something that's ever interested you? When, when,
1: it's amazing. Uh, when I first started in the business, I'm like, I'm going to go for, I want to do as much as I can. I want to work at a, a, for network or a major market on a long format magazine type thing. Then I got married. When I got married, I was like, you know, I could see myself in the top 20 market, just kind of doing the news thing, letting that go. And and when then we had kids and it's amazing how your perspectives change because I went from, you know, I want to be, you know, in a top 25 market somewhere to, I could be happy Wherever I am, as long as I got, can use a little bit of creativity and I can take care of my family. And I mean to to get to those other places requires so much sacrifice that I wasn't I wasn't ready to do it. Uh, my wife told me when the kids graduated high school, we could chase my dreams. By then I was I was 51 years old. I'm not going to start over anywhere and I'm happy and I'm really I'm happy here. I, it's it's amazing you don't hear many photographers talk about, being happy at at the shop they're in and I've worked with a great bunch of guys and some great reporters as well Uh, and so I'm I'm perfectly happy to finish out my career here and and pass what I know along to to everybody else to to the new guys coming in.
0: And and is that something you're finding you're doing more and more of now because you're such an established photog that they are asking you to train and groom the younger uh, shooters coming through?
1: Usually, when we hire a new uh, one-man band, when we hire a new MMJ, I usually take them out for a couple of days just to, A, see what they know and what we have to work on and kind of try to show them, hey, this is how we do it here and and kind of get them through. But uh, all of our guys really are are great teachers. Um, I've been trying to concentrate a little bit on the university level, and I go a couple times a year and talk to classes at the university saying – this is what you think journalism is. This is what they're telling you it is here. This is what they're telling you television news is. This is actually what it is, and this is what you need to know to get there and, and to excel at it. Yeah. So that's kind of where I am. I always said when, uh, when I couldn't pick up the camera anymore, that I would go teach and they keep making the darn cameras
0: smaller. <laughs> 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 Pushes it back. Yeah, yeah. Well, for the, for the sake of me really and anyone else who's listening who's interested, can you give us the 30-second breakdown then of, um, of what you do tell them? Like, what, what's, the, what's the top line on what you tell them about what they really need to know? I,
1: I, usually, I usually show them my camera. This camera, you
0: know... Is that for the, for the those who are video. listening, I think, is that a JVC650?
1: Perfect. You, you nailed it, JVC 650. And I usually make them look at my rig. And
0: yeah, you've I got a, a Sennheiser radio mic receiver on the side. Um, what else right? are we seeing there? That's uh, about it. Yeah,
1: this is pretty stripped down. Um, and I usually make them look at this and tell them, and, and I have it sitting on a tripod, and uh, with my with my run bag next to it, and all the gear in my run bag spread out. And I say, okay, what's the most important piece of equipment I've got here? And, oh, the camera, the lens, the tripod. No. The most important piece of equipment is my microphone, is what I tell them. Because if you don't have, if you don't have good sound, you don't have anything. You can have the prettiest pictures in the world, but if you don't have the sound to go with it, you don't have anything. And so that's kind of what I stress to everybody is sound, sound, sound. And, and the, second most, the second most important piece of equipment is my little earbud, so I know I got sound. And they're, they're, they're amazed that a photographer is telling them that the most important thing is sound, but it really is. And uh, we, then we talk about techniques and, you know, wide, medium, tight, you know, critical focus, how to... I mean, some of these kids don't know how to set up their, their eye cup and their, and their viewfinder and how to focus that. Because if, and if you don't have that focus, you can't focus a shot. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's going through and teaching them the very, very basics so that when they get out in the field, they know what they're doing.
0: Yeah. No, that makes sense. I mean, I, I agree completely. Uh, I always say, it's, it's a bit like what you say. I always say, amateurs think pictures, professionals think sound. You know, it's, uh, I, I've sort of stolen that from the army a little bit. They, they have a slightly different saying, but similar uh, to do with tactics and logistics. And uh, yeah, I, I completely agree that. Uh, so when I first started, when I was a runner in my first ever job, I used to work with a sound man who always said to me, you know what, when most people are watching TV, they're doing something else. They're making a cup of tea, they're ironing their clothes. So even if they're not looking, they're still listening. So he says no matter what the pictures do, the sound has to be perfect. He said you can get away with bad pictures sometimes because a lot of people aren't even watching. But if you mess the sound up, everybody will notice.
1: Absolutely. And that's why it's so important every every time I start a story, it's with something, some kind of interesting sound, whether it's something whether it's a, 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 one of those two-second microbytes with some kind of real expression or emotion in it or if it's just a, a really loud crash or some really clean, that sound, it's always something that they can hear to draw them away from whatever they're doing. And the picture's got to pop as well, but it's that sound that's more important.
0: Exactly. I mean, uh, for anyone uh, who's interested, they should check out your, your blog, shouldn't they? Because you put some of your films on there you did the that yeah, beautiful I film, *Man Amongst Men*. What's that? that? You did that really nice film. Was it *Man Amongst Men* about the car, doing of the, the truck? That was,
1: a, that was one that my my uh, my boss came to me and he said, I, "You're the guy in this place that I want to do this story because because you're the one who can mine the emotion out of it and and get it. That was that's probably the favorite story I've ever done. Um, it, it's it's a really touching story about a. a a veteran who, um, uh, who who died in Afghanistan and his wife and, and some locals here uh, working together to, to really honor him and, and and to honor honor his wife. Um, but then there, there are other stories that just, I mean, there, people ask you to pick a favorite story. You just can't. They're like kids. You can't because there's so many. Because you remember the, the obstacles you had to overcome in this one story that makes it, it, even though it may not be a great story, that makes it a great story in your mind. Or this one was a really fun story that we had a great time telling. And, and so, but Man Man of, Man of Men is one of my one of my favorites. And uh, you know, it came up. It, the, the title came from something one of the guys working on the story, one of the guys uh, in the story said. And when he said it, I was like, "That's what this is." Hmm. It was a, it was just one of those moments. That's what this is, and that's the that's,
0: That's what I've got to carry. That's the theme I've got to carry all the way through this. Yeah, no, it was great. And, uh, well, I was going to say, for anyone who's listening who wonders what we're talking about, they should, they should check out, is it turdpolishertv.blogspot? Uh, it's WordPress. .wordpress, do, dot word, WordPress. yeah. So, but I'm sure yeah. if they just Google turdpolisher WordPress, they'll, they'll find your blog yeah. right.
1: Yeah, I kind of got, I kinda got uh, hammered with that uh, nickname.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> do you want to tell us 12, about that?
1: <laughs> Twelve years ago, um, I just I came back from just a just a boring city council meeting and really put my foot in the story and turned it into something good and the next day one of the photographers said, Man, you really polished that turd <laughs> and from that day on that was That's your that nickname, was kind of it stuck. <laughs> <laughs> It just stuck. Well that's what we're all yeah, trying to do,
0: right? You know, let's face it, ninety percent of what we do isn't visually that exciting. So I, I guess we're all trying to polish that turd. Yes,
1: and we get way more of them than, than we deserve. But you know, everyone—it's—it's it's those ones that, you know, you you come and you it, you do something special with it, and you go, okay, that's what you live for. Yeah. Because every day is not like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, th- th- that one story carries you through to the next time you get a really good story.
0: Exactly, and um, I mean, one one big story that I know has happened on your patch. I mean, anyone listening who follows the news will know. Uh, was it July? There was the shooting in Baton Rouge.
1: Yeah, uh, that was, I think that, it was either June or July. Last year was such a crazy year in Baton Rouge. But we, we had uh, July 5th, I think it was, was the uh, shooting of Alvin Sterling. Uh, a couple of white police officers shot in, uh, what turned out to be an armed black man, but, but he may have been under their control. And so there's there were big protests and, and things from that. Um, and uh, almost a riot situation. That's that's, I think where we we come back to that MMJ versus versus a, a traditional news crew. Those situations were way too dangerous for us to send out our, our one man bands. And so we had a little bit of an advantage over uh, the other stations in town who are primarily one man bands that we could have an extra person out there watching your back. We sent three and four people out to the same to the one spot just so that. We w- we would be safe, and I was I was in the middle of probably the most tense uh, parts of it, where you had police clashing with uh, some of the protesters and stuff. And then you follow that up a month later when, uh, geez, I bet forty or fifty percent of our coverage area was underwater, under right. six and seven feet of water, and uh, and that carried us through the rest of the year covering uh, stuff with that. So. Uh, last year was a really really tough year in baton rouge
0: and how how was it for you when um you know uh maybe it is um a a market where you don't necessarily have huge international stories that often then suddenly you get two in a year how did that sort of change your job and affect the station and you know um how, how did you deal with such huge stories it
1: really it they were they were they were really big stories and i for the the alton sterling thing um You know, right on the heels of that, we had uh, five police officers shot, uh, kind of growing out of that right after the killings in Dallas. Um, It stretches your team to the limit. Um, We, I I can't stress it enough, we have some really, really good folks that I work with. Um, The day of the police officer shootings, I was, I got called. Uh, I don't know, nine o'clock in the morning, it was a Sunday morning, and they said, Get to this location. I, I started on my way to that location and I called up two other photographers that I know were already on the road and said, Okay, where are you guys? Where are you headed? Who's closest? There was another photographer that was a little closer to the scene, and so I told him, You take that, I got to the hospital, and we kind of coordinated with ourselves. But that was, those were. 16 18 hour days back to back to back um, it, and everybody in the station not just in the news department uh, working on that we had guys from sales and from the administration and from uh, from the studio all coming in trying to help where do you need me what can I do put me to use some kind of way our our, our team is just it's something that's entrenched in this newsroom that's that's not like any other newsroom I've ever worked in, when something happens, everybody comes in and says, what can I do to help? Where can I go? Um, with the floods in, in August, um, four photographers sitting around a table. We had probably 130, 140 years of experience uh, around that table. Um, and we started counting the storms and the tragedies and everything that we had been involved in over our careers, not a single one of us knew one person that was directly impacted by the tragedies that we had covered. Just in our television station in August, just the immediate people we worked with, the hundred or so people in the TV station, twenty-six people lost their homes in that flood. It's it's when you think about that, the the numbers of. And that doesn't count outside your family. That doesn't count family. That doesn't count friends. That doesn't count neighbors, people you know, just people you work with when when you talk about the magnitude of something like that. But again, those 26 people flooded, don't have a home, living with relatives or in a hotel, showed up to work and said, what can I do to make sure this story gets out that this gets on the air that yeah. people know about it wow. that dedication. our community knows about it and knows what they need to do and so it's just I, I work with some incredible
0: people yeah wow I think I want to apply for a job at your station it sounds amazing <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's not always amazing but just when, when when it hits the fan yeah I show up ah, that's and brilliant. they show up hard
0: brilliant well look Rick I think I've taken enough of your time we've been going about 40 minutes now and uh, it's Saturday and I want you to go and have fun um <laughs> <laughs> I've
1: got Christmas decorations to make I think for my wife a little later. <laughs>
0: that sounds like a horrific day to a uh, way to spend the day but I uh, hope hope hopefully you'll enjoy that. <laughs> oh
1: it's fun I'll be in my wood shop that's the other thing I do so you know.
0: Is that how you wind it's, it's, down and relax?
1: Absolutely. I I don't know if it's a photographer thing or what. I'm always always got to be creative and so i got to have a creative outlet even when I'm
0: at home and so I go in the wood shop and I make sawdust. Okay, so I hope you found that as informative as I did. Um, Rick's style um, reminds me a lot of the way I like to work as well and listening to him was was really good for me. Uh, He had some great ideas, some great concepts. Now, before we go, I want to talk about his book, Shooter in the Crosshairs, which is the only book I've ever read about TV news cameramen. I'm sure there are others, but it's the only one I've read, and it was absolutely brilliant. I'm actually really disappointed this isn't, you know, a top bestseller. Uh, let, me give, let, me, let me read you the blurb from Rick's website. So the book Shooter in the Crosshairs by Rick Porsche. Brock Nichols screwed up. When his television career went down in flames on the steps of a Dallas courthouse, it made national news and earned the TV photog a night in the lock-up. Now Brock's stuck in the place where it all started, Baton Rouge, working for a mental midget like Percy Finch and his good news strategy that has viewers flocking to the competition. If that weren't bad enough, Finch has Brock locked into a shooting pet parades for Katie Couric, wannabes like Nancy Patrick. Okay, it's quite a long blurb. Stay, stay with me here. Against his better judgment, Brock drags Nancy to the scene of a fire where he is plunged into the world that originally ignited his passion for this business. A world before cu- cookie-cutter cookie cutter anchors and Barbie doll reporters. There he finds something that has been sorely missing in his life. The first real person he's met in years. Ida May Christophe. Miss Ida is... Sure, the man burning the homes in her neighbourhood, is connected to former Grand Dragon of the KKK, Rafe Whitney. Anyway, long story short, I'll skip to the last paragraph. When he finally comes face to face with the man behind the sheet, Brock discovers he has one more demon to exercise, one from his youth. In order to do that, he'll have to decide between telling the story of a lifetime and sending a murderer to jail. So anyway... Brilliant, brilliant book. If you look for it on um, Amazon, you'll find it. Shooter in the Crosshairs by Rick Porsche. Anyway, enough of that. I hope everybody enjoyed the interview. And I will hopefully, news permitting, be back next week with episode seven. All right, guys, take care. Oh, and don't forget, give me a follow on Twitter where I'm at Image Junkies. I'm also at Image Junkies on Instagram. And check out my website, ImageJunkies.net.